Now, as you're able, would you please remain standing for the reading of the word, which today is gonna be done by one of our high school students, Ella Scott. Today I'll be reading Colossians 1, 15 through 23. The supremacy of the Son of God. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, through thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Things is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So then everything he might have the supremacy, for God was pleased to have him in his fullness, dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth through his blood, sorry, so things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds before your evil behavior, now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, establish and firm, and do not move from the hope held out of the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that is proclaimed to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, have become a servant. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Good to be with you all here. My name is Ryan, for those of you that I may not know, and I've had the privilege over the years of officiating several weddings, and um, I remember one of the times I had officiated the wedding, and the next day or a couple days later, either the bride or the groom, I don't remember which one, uh, posted some pictures on social media of the wedding. And so I start clicking through the pictures and I'm clicking rather quickly because I'm looking specifically for something. I'm looking specifically for pictures of me. And uh, honestly, I was a little bit offended because on this day, there were no pictures of me. And I was like, hey, uh, guys, don't you remember who this is about? I'm the one who signed the paper that made this thing official. Without me, this wouldn't have happened, right? And I know that the wedding is not about me. And, and maybe you've done the same thing, though. Maybe you've been uh, a bridesmaid or, or a groomsman or you've been an usher or you've just been at a wedding and you're clicking through and you're looking like, where am I, where am I, where am I? We're making something about us that isn't about us because the wedding is not about the, uh, it's not about the officiant. It's not about the maid of honor. It's not about uh, the best man. Let's be honest. It's not even really about the groom. Um, it's really just about the bride, amen? No, obviously the wedding is about the bride and groom and everyone who is there is gathered there to celebrate these two people and to recognize what they are doing and, and coming and joining their lives together um, and the commitment that they're making. But, but we do wanna make things about us sometimes and we do this with our faith too, that sometimes we come to church and we're like, all right, talk about me, talk about me. Is that my favorite worship song? Is that my favorite verse? What is this gonna say about me? How am I gonna be blessed from this? And, and, and sometimes we start to make church and faith in the Bible about us when it's supposed to be about Jesus. And really we can do this with life where we, maybe it's not us, but we start to make faith about other things and other people and, and, and we make it about our, our favorite pastor or our favorite worship leader or, or just different ministries and different things. And, and what we wanna do today is we wanna get centered on the right thing. As a matter of fact, uh, this, this week we are continuing our series on the five solas that we kicked off last week. 
And sola is a Latin word that just means alone. And so the reason we're doing this series is, well, October is really the, the month that the Reformation started some 500 years ago. And the Reformation was a time where believers, where, where Christian leaders were looking at the church and, and there were many who were looking at the church and thinking, hey, there's some things here that are not right. We're, we're doing some things that don't line up with what I'm seeing in the text, what I'm seeing in the Bible and, and, and we're adding all these things in that really don't need to be there. And so we want to get back to what faith is really supposed to be about, what being God's people is really supposed to be about. And so um, the, the solos are something that just kind of came out of the Reformation. And last week we talked about the first one, which was scripture alone. That the Bible is, because it is, the Bible is God's word. And because it is God's word, we live according to the word of God. And so we submit ourselves individually and collectively as a church to the word of God. This is our sole authority. It doesn't mean that other people don't have wisdom and advice that they can give. It doesn't mean that other leadership doesn't exist, but it means that all leadership must point to the word of God. That there is no other equal in terms of leadership. It is the word of God than everything else. And the last point we made at the, at the end of last week was that the Bible is all about Jesus. And so today we'll get into the second solo, which is sola Christus, which is Christ alone. That is all about Jesus. Now, as Christians, we probably think, well, duh, like this is an easy sermon, so I can just take a nap the next 30 minutes. Um, you can if you want, I guess, just no snoring. Uh, but, but we want to make sure that we stay focused because so often we try and add all these other things or put in these other things, even put on ourselves other things. And really, we just wanna get back to the heart of the gospel, which is that it's all about Jesus and so while the Bible is all about Jesus, we as God's people, the followers of God, the people who've put their trust in Jesus Christ, God's people, we exist because of and for Jesus. And so what I wanna do today is just to kind of walk through scripture and see how the Bible has been pointing us and continues to point us to Jesus over and over and over again. And then to figure out, okay, well, what do we do in response to that? Like, what does that mean for our lives? So let's start in Colossians chapter one, the passage that Ella just read for us. We'll start in verses 15 and 16. This is gonna kind of leapfrog us into some other places all around scripture. So make sure you keep your finger in Colossians. We'll come back to that. Um, but hopefully you know where all the books of the Bible are because we're gonna bounce through them rather quickly. If not, just leave your Bible open and look at the screen and say, yep, I'm there, definitely found it. Colossians chapter one, verse 15 says this, the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And so these first couple of verses uh, give us an understanding of who Jesus is. And it acknowledges that he has been there from the very beginning. So we know that Jesus is the second person in the Godhead, the Trinity. Uh, we believe in one God in three persons. If that confuses you, you're in the right place. Um, that is a confusing statement. It's one of those things that we know because scripture tells us this is true, but it's one of those things that our minds can't quite comprehend because it's unlike anything else because God is unlike anything else. And, and so one God, three persons, and, and Jesus is a part of the Godhead. So he is fully God, but he's also fully man. So he is the image of the invisible God. And so he, he demonstrates God to us and he's God with us. What an amazing blessing that is. But he's also there present at the very beginning and everything that God does, he is present there as part of it. And so we know that he is a part of creation. It says creation exists 
that the creation happened because of and for Jesus. All things have been created through him and for him. Now this language can be found in other places in scripture. In John chapter one, verse one, it says basically the, the same exact thing, that creation happened because of and for Jesus. That Jesus was there present in the beginning, that he was with God, he is God, and all creation exists because of him and for him and through him. In Genesis, we get some Trinitarian language that we see that, that God is working together in creation. And so this is significant because the first thing that we have in Jesus is something that all people have, whether Christian or non-Christian. So if you're here today and you are a fully committed follower or you're a new believer or you're just someone who's exploring faith, we're glad you're here. But I wanna tell you that all of us, because of Jesus, we have life. And we have life because of Jesus. So our life it, it exists because of Jesus. We have him to thank for it and he is responsible for keeping it and sustaining it. And so Jesus was present in creation and so therefore all of life, all of creation exists because of Jesus, but also he continues to sustain life even today. So this breath that I take in my lungs, that all of us take is a gift of Jesus. It's a gift from Christ. And so we give him thanks because he has offered us life. And so Jesus was there present in creation and when we look at the creation account, we see that he created a beautiful universe. He created a perfect place. And God placed Adam and Eve, the, the first man and woman in this garden and they had perfect relationships with one another and perfect relationship with God and perfect relationship with all of the created order. And we look around and we think, what happened? Like I have relational issues, I have financial issues, I have health issues. You know, I just see the brokenness and the sin that's all around me. I see that this is not that perfect place that I seem to read about in creation. And we understand that this happens because of our sin. That Adam and Eve were given one command, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They ate from that tree and sin entered into the world. But here's what makes it even worse. God clearly said that if you eat from this tree, you will experience death because you will have sinned and you will have committed offense against a holy God and there is a punishment, a price that needs to be paid for that sin. And the punishment is death. And, and so that's what we deserve. We are called in scripture, children of wrath. We are deserving of God's wrath. And there was an enemy who came and he tempted Adam and Eve. He convinced them to eat from the tree. And the enemy's plan is for death and destruction. His plan is to take God's creation, God's people, and take them away from God. And so we have this moment in Genesis chapter three where it seems as if the enemy has won and the only path forward is towards death, darkness, destruction. But God begins to issue these consequences to the man, to the woman, and to the serpent who was the, the representation of the enemy. And to the serpent, he says this in Genesis chapter three, verse 15. He says, and I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And so there God has told the serpent and told all of us that there is coming a time where the enemy will be defeated. And he will be defeated by the offspring of the man, by the offspring of the woman, by man himself will crush the head of the enemy. And so we know that the savior, and we know that this is pointing to Jesus, is going to defeat the enemy. 
that he will have victory over the enemy. And so we keep following the story of Genesis and the family line of Adam and Eve, and we see a lot of bad in the next few chapters. But in Genesis chapter 12, God begins to show more of his plan to redeem people and to make things new. And so in Genesis chapter 12, we meet a man named Abraham, and this is God's promise to Abraham. He says in verse two, I'll make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And so here we understand that this savior, this promised offspring is going to be a blessing to all the nations. And so this is pointing us to Jesus who we know will be a blessing to the nations through his sacrifice, through his death and resurrection because only through him can we be offered life. And so God is revealing his plan in the Old Testament and he's pointing us to Jesus. It's all about Jesus, it's all about Jesus. Now flip over to 2 Samuel chapter seven because as we follow the family line of Abraham to see where is this blessing going to come from, we eventually come to a king, a man by the name of David. And David is the king over Israel, over God's people. And David has this moment where he wants to build God a temple. He wants to do something for God. That's a noble and honorable thing. But God says, no, 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 this is not for you. This is not the task that I want for you to do. And in 2 Samuel chapter seven, at the end of verse 11, God instead makes a promise to David. So so the Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now this is one of those places in scripture where we have a temporary and a future fulfillment of a promise. So we have this temporary fulfillment of the promise where where God is telling David, hey, your offspring is going to be raised up and he's going to be the one who will build me a temple and and I'm gonna establish his kingdom. And so we see that that is true in David's son, Solomon. David's son, Solomon is the one who would build the temple for God and he would sit on the throne of David and many descendants after him would sit on that same throne, ruling and reigning. But it wasn't Solomon's throne that is established forever but a future offspring of King David. And so we know again that that we are being pointed to the future savior. And we're starting to piece together who this person is gonna be. And so we see he's gonna have victory over the enemy. He's gonna crush the head of the serpent. We see that he is going to be a blessing to all people. We see that he is going to be a king who rules and reigns. But we want a complete picture of him and the prophets help paint the rest of the picture. Now I could read through all of the prophets and we could be here for a long, long time, Um, but that's not what we're gonna do. But I do wanna look at one of my favorite prophecies about who Jesus is because it speaks to the thing that, that really when you're thinking about David's heir, a king, you're thinking of someone who's gonna come in glory, in majesty, in power to be the savior of the world. But Isaiah 53 paints a different picture. And it's one of my favorite passages of scripture because it's one of the best descriptions we have of Jesus. And yet it comes hundreds of years before he is ever born. A long, long time before Jesus dies on the cross, these are the words that were spoken in Isaiah 53. 
It says in verse four, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so Isaiah 53 paints Jesus as the suffering servant who yes, will be a king in the line of David, will be a blessing in the line of Abraham, will defeat the enemy, but he's going to do it by bearing our pain, by bearing our punishment, by suffering, even to the point of death on a cross. And if we think of the image of Jesus, we think of the image with the crown of thorns on his head, his back beaten, whipped, himself mocked and scorned. And this is exactly what Isaiah said was going to happen. And so the Old Testament has been pointing us to Jesus. And even in the law, we see that there is a need for a savior. And you can look at the stories of the people of Jesus and they paint a picture. They, they, they give us a glimpse of who Jesus is gonna be. I mean, you read the story of Joseph, not the, the father of Jesus, but Joseph in the, the coat of many colors, Jesus. Joseph, the same thing in the last service. One Jesus, not that, not that. Um, Joseph, in the coat of many colors, that Joseph, uh, you know, you look at his story and, and you just see so many similarities to Christ. Like he was betrayed by his people. He, he was sent to the depths for him. It was prison for Jesus, obviously the grave. And then he was raised up and given power and authority and used that power and authority to save his people. And so God has been pointing us to Jesus throughout all of the Old Testament. It's all been pointing to him. And then we open up the New Testament, Matthew chapter one, verse one. It says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And so Matthew will walk through this genealogy that connects Jesus to David and ultimately to Abraham. And in doing so, he said, he's the Messiah. The one that the prophets were talking about, that's Jesus. The, the, the king that's gonna rule on the throne forever in the line of David, that's Jesus. The one who's gonna be a blessing to all people, that's Jesus. And the gospel accounts show us how this happened. They show us Jesus revealing himself by, by doing miracles and by speaking powerfully, by proclaiming the kingdom of God is coming and how to live as a citizen in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, of course, ultimately demonstrates his power, his authority, and his victory through his death on the cross and his resurrection and his ascension into heaven. And then the book of Acts, we are told that the church is living as witnesses pointing back to Jesus. And you read the letters in the New Testament and they all point to Jesus and say, this is how we live in response to Jesus. All of scripture is about Jesus. So what do we do with that knowledge? What do we do with that information? It's all about Jesus. Let's go back to Colossians chapter one. Colossians chapter one, here in verse 17, it says this. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So then everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Let's pause right there. It says God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And so Jesus being fully God and yet fully man, being God with us reveals who God is to us. So through Jesus, we have life, but through Jesus, we also have knowledge of God. 
God wants to reveal himself to us. He does that through his word. But ultimately, the best way that God has revealed himself to us is through the living word, the person of Jesus. And so Jesus demonstrates to us who God is, what he cares about, and how we live in response to him. And so through Jesus, we have this knowledge of God. And and in Colossians, it tells us a little bit about who God is, that he is the one who has supremacy, that he is the head of the church, meaning again, collectively the head of the church, but also individually, he is the head of our lives. And so we take this knowledge about who Jesus is and we ask, okay, well, Jesus has power and he has authority, he has supremacy. What does he do with all that? What does he do with his power and his authority? Well, it tells us this in verse 20. So remember, verse 19 said, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And then in verse 20, it says, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present, your ho- to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven under which I, Paul, have become a servant. So at the very end there, Paul says, hey, if, if you hold on to this gospel, and we say, well, which gospel are you talking about? And Paul says, hey, the gospel that I've been preaching, the gospel that I'm a servant of, the gospel that you have heard, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel message is that while we have sinned, and scripture tells us we were alienated from God, that we were enemies of God, that in spite of that state of our being, God so loved the world, he so loved you and I, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And so through Christ, we have forgiveness of sins. See, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and there is a, a wage, a price, a punishment that needs to be paid for the sin. And Jesus took that punishment on his shoulders. And Colossians tells us that he paid that price through his blood, through his blood shed on the cross. And so through him, we have forgiveness of sins. And because our sins are forgiven, that means we can enter back into relationship with God. Like this is his desire, not just to save us from our sins, but to save us to relationship with him to reconcile us to himself. We who were called enemies of God living in rebellion against him and he died for us. That's the gospel. That it's all about Jesus. And so we come to the father not by our way, not by our means, but by the means of the father. And that is to come to the father through the son. In John 14, six, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Now that claim is powerful, it's important, but for some, you might be looking and saying, well, wait, that feels really exclusive. And you're not wrong about that. But you can look and say, well, isn't God being selfish? Like, why is there only one way? And some of you may have the question of thinking, hey, wait, Ryan, this doesn't make sense. 
Like, if there's only one way, what does that mean for the people who, who live in a country that have never heard the message of Jesus Christ? What does that mean for those who have grown up in a different culture with a different faith practice that they're, they're really genuine about their faith, but is it fair to them? What about my friend or, or my brother or, or my sister or my neighbor who, who is a really good person but just doesn't know Jesus yet? First of all, I wanna remind you that it is Jesus who is making these claims, not me. So if you have angry emails, send them to him, not to Ryan. <laughs> But I also want to remind us that when we're asking these questions, one of the things we're doing is that we're forgetting about who God is because we think we deserve something from him. And yet if we look at God, the, the, the picture of God, this painted in Colossians, the God who is supreme, who is the authority, who is above all things, like this is the king of glory, the king of kings and lord of lords who, who spoke creation into existence out of nothing. This is the God who holds our life in his hands. He owes us nothing in whatever he says we need to do because he holds our life in his hands. And so if God wants to act wickedly towards us or, or wants to uh, torment us and, and, and make us miserable, he has the right to do that. Now thanks be to God, that's not what he wants and that's not who he is. The Bible paints a different picture. It tells us that while we were enemies, Christ died for us while we were living in sin and rebellion, while we were pushing God away, he came to us to reveal himself to us, to offer us a path to life. And so we look at this exclusive claim, but we have to understand we don't deserve anything. I would also remind us that when we ask these questions, sometimes we forget that God has given us a plan for how to reach the lost. That plan is you. It's the church. We are called to go and make disciples. We are called to live as a witness of Jesus. And sometimes we ask these questions, we think, well, what about my neighbor? And God's like, well, have you told them yet? Well, what about the person down the street? Well, have you demonstrated my love to them? What about the people in these other countries? Hey, I told you to go. God's word make it, makes it clear that he has a heart for the lost, but he's gonna use us and we get to partner with him to be on mission for Christ. So when we ask these questions, the next question we should ask is, when's the last time I had a gospel-centered conversation with someone who doesn't know Jesus? Are we lifting Jesus up? And the other reminder is that this is good news because the reality is while there is only one way, there is one way. There shouldn't be any ways to the Father, but he has given us one. And while it's a challenging truth and being a follower of Christ is challenging, the act of salvation is not dependent on us. It's dependent on Christ. He's done the work. It's not based on our merit. It's not based on our good works. And so we think, well, what, what about the people who, who are good people? Well, based on what standard? How many good deeds? How many bad things have they done? We don't have to ask those questions. It is all about Jesus. And so through Jesus, we have forgiveness of sins, which means we get to enter into life. But we understand that, that life with Jesus is, is good here. I mean, we can have comfort. We can have a peace that surpasses understanding. We can have joy and hope in the midst of difficult circumstances. But we still experience difficult circumstances. And so are we ever going to get back to 
that picture that we saw in the beginning of creation, that, that, that perfect unity with God and with everything that, that exists, well, yes, that is coming. Remember, the promise was that the, the offspring of the woman would defeat the enemy, would crush the serpent's head. Well, Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20, verse two says this. It says he sees the dragon. Now this is talking about an angel, but this is really because of the work of Jesus that we see in Revelation 19. He sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And so there's this, temporary defeat and then there's a permanent defeat because after the thousand years are over it tells us this in revelation chapter 20 verse 10 and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown they'll be tormented day and night forever and ever see through christ we have victory over the enemy through jesus we have victory over the enemy the enemy's plan was to steal kill and destroy. But Jesus came so that we could have life and have it to the full. And so because of the work on the cross, we know that the price has been paid. The enemy has been defeated. And while this is a temporary, there is a future defeat, a complete defeat, that we know that he will no longer exist and prowl around seeking whom he will devour but he will be completely defeated and we won't have to deal with his games and his tactics and his lies any longer. Through Christ, we have victory over the enemy. And this is a very, very good thing. And here's what this victory ultimately looks like. Revelation chapter 21, verse one. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Yeah, we should have a few more amens on that. That's the good news of the gospel. That here and now we can live bringing God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. But it's still only a glimpse. We have a relationship with Christ now, but it's still imperfect. But there is coming a day where Jesus will not only give us peace in the midst of difficult circumstances, but he will transform our circumstances. There's coming a day where there will be no more pain, there will be no more mourning, there will be no more sorrow. There's coming a day where we will no longer have to walk through the valley, but instead we will rest completely and perfectly in his presence. And so because of Jesus, we have new and eternal life to look forward to. Because of Jesus, we have new and eternal life. And it's unlike anything we've ever experienced the best moments of your relationship with Christ are only a glimpse of what we'll get to experience in glory. Your best day doesn't compare to the worst day in eternity. I don't even know if there's gonna be a worse day or if every day is the same, every day is the best day, every day is good. I don't know we'll have that kind of language, but you get the point. Because of Jesus, we have life 
Because of Jesus, we have knowledge of God. Because of Jesus, we have forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with him. Because of Jesus, we have victory over the enemy and new and eternal life to look forward to. And so we as the church, as individuals, continue to lift him up, keeping the main thing the main thing. We give him praise and thanks for who he is and what he has done. We constantly fall down on our knees in worship and say, God, thank you. Thank you for your son. Thank you for Jesus. We abide in him, resting in his presence because we are nothing apart from him. And we surrender ourselves completely to him because nothing else compares. And so let's be a church who lifts up Jesus because there's no other name in heaven or on earth that compares to him. And so we lift him up for ourselves, but also so that others can see and so that they can call on the name of Jesus and experience this life and salvation as well. And so let's be the people who are all about Jesus and Jesus alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the gift of your son. God, there's nothing that we do to deserve a relationship with you and we certainly can't earn it. And yet you freely offer it to us through your sacrifice, through your gift, through your son, Jesus. So let us be a church of people who are completely 100% sold out for you, that we keep you as the center of our lives, that we lift up your name above every other name. God, that we submit ourselves, surrender ourselves completely and totally to you. God, help us to live as witnesses of Jesus Christ. because there's nothing else worth living for, but also because we want to be a light to those around us. So God, let others see the way that we live, the things that we say, the things that we do, and let them see Jesus through us so that they too can come and receive the gift of your son and put their faith in him and experience life, life to the full and life eternally. So God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for Jesus. We love you and praise things in your son's name. Amen.